0: Welcome to the Vertical Church Podcast. I'm Virgil Sierra, lead pastor of Vertical Church in South Florida, where our aim is to point people up to God, teach them to follow Jesus, and equip them to make a difference. Thanks for connecting with us, and we pray that you are blessed by this message. I mean, I have a word on my heart that I think is going to encourage you today um, because it's from God for you. It's from God for you. Um, Don't don't look for this first verse. Let's just just read it here on the screens. Ephesians 2.10. Check this out. Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's masterpiece. Pause, pause. Who? Who? We are what? We're God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Okay, so just stop right there. When God gets into your life, he says, I want to turn you into a masterpiece. When God comes into your life, this is not a by chance or you know, maybe something it is he wants to work in your life. And it says he wants to make you anew. Because how I many you know there's some things that need to be anew in us? <laughs> and also, also, there's some things that he planned for your life that he already planned them. He planned them from long ago. And why? Because he's a personal God. He's a personal God who loves you and has a unique plan for your life. Can I get an amen? amen. Can we pray real quick? Lord, we pray right now that you would speak to us today. Lord, we have come to church not for a physical experience, not for an emotional experience, but for a spiritual opportunity to grow and learn. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to our hearts and minister to us, and I pray that the seeds of truth from your word would be planted in the fertile soil of our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. We are in our series, Good News. Everybody say, Good News! Good news, this series is focused on the reality that God wants us to know about his good news for us. And can I just say something? The good news is not just for a few. The good news is not just for a certain group. The good news is for everybody. And that's why I want you to know this good news. In fact, the title of today's message is Good News for Me. Can you say it with me? Good news for me. One more time. Good news for me. And here's what I want to do. If you got your sword, if you got your Bible, lift it up. Lift up your Bible. God's word is God's word speaks to us. It is alive. It is is our nutrition for our spirit. Here's what I want to do. Before we get there, there's three passages I want you to open to. Romans 1, put a marker there. That's what we'll start off in a few moments. John 3 and 1 John 1. Why do I do this at the beginning? Because it saves us a little bit of time along the journey. If you don't have your Bible, don't fret. We'll have the verses up here. If you're a believer for a long time and you come continuously to church here, this is your church family, bring your Bible to church. Highlight it up. Mark it up. It's good to do that. Um, Romans 1, John 3, and then 1 John 1. I'm going to read a few more verses than that, but we won't have to search for those because I want to make sure we have time to get to everything today. Um, I want to talk to you today about the first half of the message, four truths about the gospel, and then three applications of how to apply the gospel to our lives for change. So we're going to talk the first four truths, then the three applications. Um, When God is working in your life, can I just say something? He's not trying to just make you a little bit better. He's trying to transform you. Um, Have you ever had a situation where you had to get a new Maybe a new phone or something. And they say, oh, we'll give you a refurbished one, right? And you kind of feel gypped because that's not right. Because you, like, give me something that's new, right? And, uh, and so God is not here to say, I'm going to make a refurbished you. <laughs> he says, I'm going to transform you into a new person. That's what God wants to do. Everybody say new. New, new, new. new. Um, religion is something that promotes conformity, but God is interested, not in conformity, but in transformation, and so I, I want us to talk about this. Four truths about the, about the gospel. Four truths about the gospel. Everybody say gospel. Are you guys ready? Number one, the gospel is good news for me. Come on, say it with me. The gospel is good news for me. Did you know that the good news of the gospel is for you? In fact, I say this all, all the time. Good news is only good news if it includes you, right? Because if I call you today and I say, yo, check this out. You know that, you know that farm that my... My parents used to own, and, and now it's mine. You know, we found gold all over it. It's, there's gold on our land. And you're like, great, great, verge. That's great for you. Until I say, and because you are my good friend, I got some gold for you. That, that immediately changes. Why? Because good news is only good news if it's good news for you. And so I'm here to tell you today the gospel is good news for you. The gospel is good news for me. Because the gospel is good news that is inclusive and not exclusive. It includes you, 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 and it includes me. All right, let's go to Romans 1. Romans 1, this is, uh, this is one of those verses that if you haven't highlighted in your Bible yet, I want to encourage you to do so. In fact, this is one that you want to memorize because you want to know this one. It's just powerful. Romans 1, verse 16, Paul writes this, and here it is. Paul says in one sixteen, I am not ashamed of what? of the gospel, we could say, I'm not ashamed of the good news. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is what? The power of God that does what? That brings salvation to who? To everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. In other words, for everybody. So question, question, what is Paul not? He's not ashamed. What is he not ashamed of? The good news of the gospel. Why? Because it's what? It's the power of God that brings what? Salvation to who? To everybody who believes. And then in 17, it says, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. So, so this is good news. Come on, give somebody an elbow, tell them this is good news. Let me just share real quick the full gospel, um, like what, what it means. And, and by, when I say the full gospel, is because sometimes people only teach part of the gospel, and we don't want part of it or incomplete. We want it full. Here's the four aspects of the full gospel. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. I'm gonna explain these, not in detail, but just to understand. What does the gospel mean? Well, the full gospel begins with creation. Everybody say creation. It starts in Genesis 1. God created us all. By the way, how did he create us? In his likeness and image, or image and likeness. And he created us male and female with a purpose. He created us to call, and called us to have dominion, to be fruitful, and to multiply. And then in Genesis one thirty one, it says that God created everything, and he saw that it was... It was good. So how was God's creation? It was good. God made you. God made me. God made all of creation, and he saw that it was good. But then comes the second aspect of the gospel, which is the fall of man. So God created good, but then secondly, the fall of man. We were separated from God when we stopped trusting in God. Remember Adam and Eve in the garden? Remember the trees, you know, the the instructions? And because of sin because of the sin of our predecessors, Adam and Eve, in the garden that separated us from God and we come from the same bloodline and that is the reason why there is brokenness in the world today. So first is creation, second is the fall of man, third is redemption. Redemption is the good news that God had a plan and he sent his son Jesus to redeem us in order to bring us back to our father again, to give us a hope and a future. And because of the redemption through Christ on the cross, which we celebrated, you know, and then the resurrection three days later after the cross, because of that, we can one day, if we believe in him, have eternal life and we can now experience abundant life. It's a beautiful thing. So creation, the fall, redemption, fourth part of the gospel, restoration. Restoration, so that restoration can happen again. What does that mean? So that what God intended in the beginning, when all was good, can be restored again, which leads us to want to live a life that is good and that is purposeful so we can actually do what God created us to do from the beginning. That is the full gospel. The full creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Okay, number two, some truths about the gospel. Number two, the gospel brings positive change. Guess who? For me. For me. The gospel brings positive change for me. I want you to declare that with me. The gospel brings positive change for me. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not religion. Christianity is unlike any other religion because in every other religion, they require a certain amount of conformity. Pray this way, dress this way. In most religions, you can tell what religion they are just by their external appearance. Isn't it interesting that you can't tell a Christian by their external appearance necessarily, right? You have to look further because it's a heart thing. It's not an external religious conformity thing. It's an internal heart transformation thing. And so you can try to change your external appearance, but what God is most concerned with is your internal. Now, when he changes it from the inside out, it will, it will adapt for better the things on the outside that maybe need to be adjusted. But the gospel brings change. Don't look for it. Up on the screen, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Most of you have heard this before. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become New, the word new in the Greek in this original writing here is the word metamorphosis. Have you ever heard that before? That's, that's a Greek, it comes from the original Greek, metamorphosis, which means you're not just improved, but you are transformed. A lot of us, when we hear metamorphosis, we think about the story of, of, a, of, a, of a caterpillar in a cocoon that undergoes metamorphosis and then is transformed into a butterfly. What you have on the end looks completely different than what you started with. Can I just say some of us are caterpillars in the process? And can I say that the church is like a cocoon? And I have seen some caterpillars arrive to church, and throughout a season of being here, I see those caterpillars now spread some wide wings and beautiful butterflies in the Lord, and I'm not, and even, even manly men that are just new and transformed. And I love that about God. I love that about how he transforms us. Some of you, some of you were cute caterpillars, but you're a much better-looking butterfly. Come on, look at somebody. Tell them you're a cute caterpillar. Tell them you're a cute caterpillar. God works in our lives through the good news of the gospel when we allow him to work. So let's do something. Let's go to John 3. I want to read a story about this man named Nicodemus. It's interesting. John 3, um, it's, it's, it's interesting because gospel is change, it's transformation. And in this story in John 3, there's this religious leader. His name is Nicodemus. He's dressed. Guess how he's dressed? He's dressed like a religious leader because that's how religious leaders dress. You could tell by his outward appearance what his position was. He was a Pharisee. Nicodemus came to Jesus late at night, by the way. So that's why some, of them, some people call him Nick at night. That's a joke. That's a dad. I'm a dad. I'm a dad. Nico. Thank you. All the dads are writing down their jokes. That's good. Now, does anybody know why Nicodemus came to see Jesus at night? It's because he knew that some things had to adjust in him and he needed to talk to Jesus, but he ain't want nobody to know that he needed to go talk to Jesus. He didn't want anybody to see him talking to Jesus. By the way, that's a tension that some of you who are here in church today face because you have something that's drawing you in God, but then there's a thought behind you thinking, what if my friend knows I came to church today or... What if my what if my brother f- no, finds out I came to church with my sister, with my mom, or with my friend? Like, what if somebody finds out And s- sometimes there's that tension? Some of you have broken through that tension, some of you are living that tension. Let me tell you, it's okay. You're in a good place. You're not gonna be so much so worried about that when you see what God is doing in you. And so, John 3, look at verse 1. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark, one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Check it out. He says, Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach to us. Pause, pause. What did he call him? Rabbi. Rabbi. Anybody know what rabbi means? It means teacher. So at this point, Nicodemus knows Jesus as teacher. Some of us know Jesus as a good teacher. But Nicodemus is about to have an encounter that goes beyond just knowing him as teacher. He says, Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. He's saying it's undeniable that you are of God. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born. Okay, I got to say this again. Jesus, I tell you the truth, unless you are? Born again. again. Unless you are what? Born again. again. You cannot see the kingdom of God. We could also parallel that to saying you cannot enter. Because if you can't enter, you can't see it. What do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Nicodemus is doing a classic human thing here because we tend to think things are physical or even emotional, but Jesus is speaking of something, something spiritual here. What do you mean? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only life, human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to Spiritual life. This good news of the gospel, yes, it will affect you physically. Yes, it will affect you emotionally. But at the heart, in essence, it is spiritual. It is a spiritual rebirth, which means you are born again. That's good news. Three, the third point, truth about the gospel. Check it out. God loves me as I am. Everybody say, aw. But he loves me too much to leave me that way. God loves me the way I am, but he loves me way too much to leave me that way. And I'd like to confront an issue here real quick. There are a couple of false or, let me say this, incomplete Christianity versions out there. And you may have experienced or tasted one of these. Um, They're both true on their own, but they're incomplete without each other. And the first false or the first incomplete Christianity is the, the version that's all grace. Grace, grace, grace. Oh, grace, grace. You did what? Oh, grace, grace. Live however you want because there's grace. And do what you want today because there's grace. And grace, kind of license to sin grace. Anybody ever experienced that? So grace, grace, grace. Now, now, is, is the grace of Jesus true? Is it transforming? Is it powerful? Yes, but it's incomplete without. Then, the, then there's the, okay, so then, the, then there's the other Incomplete gospel or incomplete Christianity, which is you're going to hell. You're a sinner. You messed up because we all are. Hell, 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 hell. Turn or burn. (laughs) Anybody grow up in that church? Anybody grow up in that church? So is it true that the wages of sin is death? And that death means hell? Okay, that's true, but it's incomplete without without the grace, so here's the, here's the reality. God never meant for them to be separated. Pastor, where do you see that? Look up here, John 1, 14, check it out. It's right here, on John 1, 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen this, glory, his glory, the glory of the one and only son, who, who's a son? Jesus, who came from the Father, full of, there it is, full of? Grace. grace and truth. Can we get a capital and? Grace and truth, the key is in the and. Grace, he loves you the way you are. Truth, he loves you too much to leave you that way. Are you with me? (laughs) Here's another way to say it. Grace attracts, truth unravels. And and, and we need the grace of God to attract us. And we need to preach and speak of the grace of God. But we can't leave it incomplete without the truth. Because then people, they receive the grace, but they're still still tied up. And truth, as the word says in John 8, truth makes us free. So when the grace attracts us to God's presence then God begins to unravel us because the truth makes us free. Another way to say it is grace invites us to be free and truth sets us free. Amen. Can I get an amen? amen? This is good news. This is good news because some of us were only taught one side of the apple. Like I don't want like if I'm going to give you on your birthday a gift, I'm not going to buy you one shoe. Happy birthday to I'm going to give you the complete gift. And God wouldn't give us one shoe. He wouldn't buy us half a cake. Why? Because it's a full gospel. It's a complete gospel. And the true gospel is both grace and truth. Now, the good news is good news. Can it be a little confrontational? Yes, because we can't leave the truth out. But can it be so freeing? Yes. Yes. That's why here at Vertical, we like to preach both sides of the cake. We like to introduce The full gospel. And uh, we will use series that are heavily on truth and heavily on grace and both. But we understand that we need to lead with the grace. Jesus always led. He always led with the grace and followed through with the truth. Fourth truth about the gospel. Here it is. If I'm not changing, I might not really know God. Have you ever been convinced of something and then realized, oh, I was wrong? Well, I think the reality for a lot of people when their eyes are truly open spiritually, when it truly happens, they realize, oh man, I thought I was, but now I realize now I am. (laughs) Why? Because sometimes we realize this truth. If I'm not changing, I might not really know God because how can I know God and remain the same? And I know that's not my job to determine as a pastor because I'm not God. That's not your job to determine other people's lives. However, we can see, and as the word says, you will know them by their fruit. So, so where do we got to be clear? Let's go to First John one. There's something powerful here, and, and remember, First John is not the Gospel of John. It's towards the end. It's a little closer to Revelation, towards the end of your Bible. First, go to f- find 1 John one. This is a really important passage here. Really important passage. Is anybody learning anything? Yeah, yeah. You, at this point, it was worth coming today. Yeah, it was worth coming to church. Yeah. Okay. Good good, good. Sometimes it's like, ah, uh, you know, la granja is waiting, Pastor. Um, it'll still be there. It'll still be there. First John 1. You guys with me? Verse 6. Now, Now, don't get upset at me if this steps on your toes a little bit, okay? If we claim, if we claim to have fellowship with him, with God, and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But, If we claim we have not sinned, we make God out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. Is that clear? Jump to the next chapter, 2, and look at verse 4. Just probably on the same page or next page. First John 2, verse 4. Whoever says, check it out. Whoever says, I know God, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. Okay, pause. Pastor, are you talking this to me? I'm not talking this. This is God's word. And I know this might be a little deep, and it might not be the funnest. But Can we go to the next verse, Pastor? But it's so important to me that we speak truth here at Vertical. Here at Vertical, we don't preach the message that will tickle people's ears. We speak both grace and truth. And I can't preach to you week after week and not speak the truth of the Bible, right? And it continues saying right there, but if anyone obeys his word... Love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Isn't it interesting what it says there? If anyone, but if anyone obeys his word. So this isn't conformity. This is I love God and so I follow his ways. God, I want to do this. I want you to transform me. Because there's some things I need you to do in my life. And then, then go two pages over to chapter five. First John five, look at it, verse three. In fact, this is love for God. What is it? To keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. They're not heavy. This is love for God. It doesn't say that you'll be perfect or that you'll never mess up again. It says that you'll keep his commands and they're no longer gonna be a burden to do Why why does it say this? Because God doesn't make anybody do anything. Can I say something real quick, real quick? God could do whatever he wanted to do, whenever he wanted to do, with whoever he wanted to do. He could do that. But he, God is a gentleman. God does not force his way into anybody's life. I don't know if you've noticed that. That's That's why it says in Revelation that he knocks at the door and he's just waiting for anybody who will open. And so because God is a gentleman, he will never force himself upon your life. What he says is, I'm here. And if you want me and need me, let me correct that, you need me. Now, if you want me, you can invite me in. I love that about God. In fact, God gives us free will to choose if we want him or not. Did you know that free will is one of the most evident demonstrations of his love for us? Because think about if it wasn't free will. Think about if you were forced to love him. You're forced to love me and you're forced to follow me. Is that love? He says, I've done my part. The nails, the cross, it was the resurrection. I'm here for you. But the part of letting him in, that's your part. That's my part. And when you get to a point where you realize you need this and want this, you realize, man, I need this. And when you let it happen and you go in that process of a caterpillar in the cocoon of God's presence, and then all of a sudden, boom, it's a new me. And all of a sudden, people see you, and they're like, there's something different about you. What's going on? The way you talk, the way you carry yourself, the way you respond. You want to know why? It's because you're not the same you. You're a new you because you've been born again. Physically? No, no, no. Spiritually, it's a change that happens from the inside out. So you might ask, okay, okay, pastor, how how do I... All right, all right. I'm kind of understanding. How do I experience true transformation as a result of the good news of the gospel? Well, thank you for asking. Three steps towards true change. Here they are. Number one, get past who you were and focus on who God wants you to become. This is a word for somebody here today. I don't know who. Get past who you were and focus on who God wants you to be. This is what I love God's word, because when you read God's word, you realize he didn't pick perfect people. In fact, he picked imperfect people that were the least likely to do the things that he had them do. When you look at Moses, Moses had some issues, some anger issues. He even killed an Egyptian, and he stuttered. And when it's time to call somebody to go talk to Pharaoh and set his people free, who does he call? Stuttering Moses. So that everybody would know it definitely wasn't Moses. There's something in him. God has a way of using people. We see it over and over. He takes a feisty fisherman who's very impulsive and rash in Peter, Simon, and uh, transforms his life who becomes one of the leaders of the primitive church. How about Paul? What was Paul's name before Paul? It was Saul. Saul. And Saul was a religious leader, political leader, and part of his job responsibility was assassinate Christians. I mean, who would have said, all right, who should God use to write two-thirds of the New Testament? How about the Christian killer? And so God does what he does in Paul's life. In fact, check out all right, Romans, you don't have to look for it. It's up here on the screen. Romans 1.1. 1, 1. This is Paul. Paul writes the book of Romans to the Romans. And look what he says. Look, look how Paul writes of himself. Paul, a servant of Christ, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel, the good news of God. Okay, pause, pause. Notice that he doesn't say, Paul, an ex-murderer of Christians. Why? Because he's not focusing on who he was. He's focusing on who God, who Jesus called him to be, an apostle set apart for the good news gospel of God. Paul says, I'm not there yet, but I'm on my way. I'm not there yet, but I'm not where I was. I'm a work in progress. I'm still in the cocoon. I got one wing out. I'm in progress, but I'm not who I used to be. And I'm looking better on the inside. And I'm trans. It's not the same me. It's a new me because I've been reborn. This is the good news of the gospel. And some of us need to do like Paul and stop focusing on who we were and stop focusing on who he's called us to be. This is the process of the gospel. And then Paul also says in Colossians, you know, in Colossians 3, um, 7, he's talking about all these things that we were. And he says, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. Everybody say, you once lived. Used to when you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. And it talks about a whole bunch of bad things that we used to be. A lot of us are still in the used to be, and we need to tap into the but now. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. That's a word for somebody here today. That's part of God's process of change for you. The second thing for change, give God permission to change everything. Give God permission to change everything. Okay, God, I'm going to give you the left side. You know, don't do the hokey pokey. Like, like, put your whole self in. <laughs> let God change everything. I said it earlier. He could do whatever he wants to do in whoever he wants to do, whenever he wants to, but he doesn't work that way. He doesn't work that way. He gives us free will. And you got to give him permission. Got to give him permission. And uh, for, some of, for some of you, he's been knocking on the door for quite some time, and it's about time you let him in. Isn't it about time that you don't have to stay stuck in that pain? Isn't it about time that you don't have to keep with those roots of bitterness continuously in there? Isn't it time that that we move beyond the unforgiveness from that circumstance and situation in your life? Isn't it time? Really? Like, are we going to go another year with that addiction? Are we going to go another year with that habit? Or maybe it's time today to surrender and say, God, put your hand up in every area of my life like, like are you going to go are you going to do a few more steps in that in that wrong direction like 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 is that like are we going to expose ourselves to some more curses curses or or maybe or maybe it's time to say lord i will do anything i will go anywhere i will change i will allow you to change anything see a lot of people run from church because they think they're running from god Because they know God is calling them to leave some things and to embrace some things. And so the first thing is, I don't want to go there. Not knowing that that's the place where you most need to be. And that's the one that you most need in your life. There's something, let's go to Galatians 5 together. We're, we're, We're kind of coming to the final stretch here. Galatians 5. Um by the way, Paul writes here to a Christian church. Can I just say that for, for a moment? Like, this is not like he's writing to people in the world out there. You know, he's writing to the Galatian church. Galatians 5, verse 19. Does anybody there say amen. amen? All right, all right, check it out. So Paul says here, the acts of the flesh are obvious. So he's gonna he's gonna list some of the acts of the flesh, which are obviously not acts of the spirit. Uh, sexual immorality. Anybody know what that is? That still happens. That still happen nowadays. 2020. Uh, Because this was like the Galatian days. Does sexual immorality still happen nowadays? Yeah? Nobody here. No, of course not. No. Impurity. Yeah. Debauchery. Idolatry. Does that still happen nowadays? Yeah. Idolatry, yeah. There's all kinds of idolatry, including worshiping idols. That's idolatry. And then also when we put things and people before God in our lives. That's idolatry. Um, Witchcraft. Hatred. Discord. Jealousy. Fits of rage. That doesn't happen nowadays, right? Fits of rage, no? Selfish ambition. Dissensions, factions, and envy. Drunkenness. all oh, that doesn't happen nowadays, right? Drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, where the Spirit is, what you will see, the fruit you'll see, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Okay, stop there. So it's talking about fruit. Not that, not that you're perfect, not that, you're, not that you got everything, but that in your life, there's some things popping out, evident. Fruit, Again, I'm not where I need to be, but thank God I'm not where I used to be either. And fruit is showing up in my life. Not law, fruit. How can we do this? We have to have the right mindset. And, and I'm not going to ask you to look for it. Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Pause. Some people have misinterpreted this verse. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. This does not mean if you delight yourself in the Lord, he's going to give you everything you want. That's the wrong interpretation, which some of us were taught. What this verse means is delight yourself in the Lord, and he's going to put the right desires in your heart. You see how those are different interpretations? Some other versions say it a little bit better, like the New Living Translation. So it's not, oh, I'm delighting myself in the Lord. He's going to give me everything I want. I want her, and I want that, and I want, right? That's not how it works. It's I'm going to delight in the Lord. Now he's going to put the, the right desi- his desires, shoom, are now my desires. Which, which, which gives meaning to Philippians 2.13, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. That's powerful. Third point, how to change? Allow the change to begin today. Don't leave for tomorrow, what you can do today. And um, let me just let you in on a little secret as pastor here at Vertical Church. Every week when we gather for service, I'm not trying to create just an order of religious activity. Three songs, announcements, a sermon, a prayer. that's That's not the goal. What we're trying to do here at Vertical is create sacred moments. And my prayer is that every church service would be a catalytic moment for somebody to take a step in the Lord. And all of us have different steps that we might be needing to take or that God is calling us to take. The question is, are we willing to allow God to change and transform us starting today. I'll say this, a church service can't change you, but a church service can make you want to change. So don't miss the moment. Every Sunday, every Sunday matters here to us because every Sunday is someone's first Sunday and because every Sunday Both sinners and saints come to worship God, people who know him and are far, people who don't know him and are far, people who know him and are close, and people who are trying to grow. I want to finish with this last verse in 2 Corinthians 3.18. Check it out on the screens. Look what it says. But we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of God are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the spirit of the Lord. Okay, so it says there we all with unveiled face everybody say unveiled face. That means you don't have to go in hiding with God anymore. You guys remember in the beginning in Genesis when Adam and Eve sinned what the first thing that they did that they did that they did after They hid because because when we live in sin, it brings guilt and it brings shame and it brings pain and our first instinct is I want to hide because I don't want people to know and I definitely don't want God to know, right? And so it says here, we with unveiled face, we can come to God open-hearted, we can come to God without covering ourselves, but pastor, but I messed up last night. Yeah, you messed up last night, but he already paid for that on the cross and we seem to forget that so, you can approach Jesus with an unveiled face today. Why? Because he already paid for your sins. It's not like I'm waiting to see if you're worth my, my sacrifice. He already paid the price because you are worth it to him because he loves you and you are a masterpiece that he's working on. But, but sometimes you just haven't come to understand it. But when you do understand it, you go through this process, kind of like a caterpillar in a cocoon, and you are born again. You are reborn and you begin to understand that God doesn't love me when I do good things and then when I do bad things, he stops loving me. No, no, God's never stopped loving me even though I've been doing bad things. His love has never not been there and it never will not be there. The difference is when I choose to accept it and when I accept it and receive it, I realize I wanna align myself to this good news of the gospel with an unveiled face. Sometimes we don't know who we are. <clears throat> because we're we're so used to living in the world and with the people we've been, that we think that that's that's, that's we think that that's the life. <laughs> Even people who grow up knowing God sometimes, then they get it with the wrong crowd and then they think that that's 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 what it is. I, I shared this story a few years ago, but it's so impacting that I thought I'd share it again. It's a story of this woman named Marina Chapman. If anybody's remembers the story, over sixty years ago, she's a Colombian woman <clears throat> who who's known for, for having lived in the jungle with monkeys for a few years of her life. She was about four years old when she got abducted from her house from some bad men. Um, she tells her story in this book, The Girl Who, with No Name. And um, it's been talked about in National Geographic throughout the years and all this. And she was a little girl. She was abducted from her home. And uh, she says that she remembers being dragged in, through the branches of the jungle floor um, when these men just did some horrible things to her and, and eventually just left her for dead in the middle of the jungle. And then at nighttime, as a child, she assumed somebody would come for her. And crying and crying, nobody came. After a couple of days, a pack of monkeys came and found her, um, were kind of aggressive towards towards her, and um, and then eventually kind of saw that, you know, this kind of i don't know the, the, i don't know if god used them or but brought food to her then left and then a few days later came back and she just decided to follow the monkeys and uh, and it wasn't weeks or months it was a couple of years if they read the story to know the details but a couple of years where she lived in the jungle with monkeys she the, the little vocabulary she had at her young 3 or 4 years of age she lost it and she began grunting oh, oh, like like the monkeys living like a, this is like this sounds like a disney movie or something like this is, this is what happened to her. Now, years go by, years go by where she's now living this life. And, and the story goes that she was in a tree. She saw something shiny on the floor. She went down, picked it up, looked at it, had eyes, threw it down, ran away, then got the courage to come back, picked it up, looked at it. It was a mirror. And realized that she, it was her eyes. And what happened in that moment, she says, is she realized I'm living amongst these creatures but I'm not one of them I'm different and this is kind of how they found her and and so eventually a little after that she was discovered by some people in the jungle, she was rescued and was able I'm sure (laughs) through a major process reestablish life, she eventually married, moved to England and um, now has grandkids and uh, I think there's a story she says that her favorite thing to do with her grandkids is climb trees there she is Marina Chapman. So what the church service and the Bible teaching is intended to do is to create a mirror moment. Where through the good news of the gospel of Jesus, I begin to see who I am. Not who I was, not who I'm hanging around, but who God has called me to be. And I'm here to let you know, you were made for so much more. Don't settle for less than what God had in mind for you. But you don't get there by yourself. You are transformed by the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You weren't made to be that, that you're in or you were in. You were made for more. And maybe you don't know how to figure this out for yourself. That's why church is a good place to come and connect to. When you have a spiritual family and spiritual leaders who can help you on the journey. Because nobody has it all figured out. I don't see any halos. Nobody here has got to figure it out. (laughs) Jesus is the only one. And so as a church we're here, give us an opportunity. Jump into what the Lord is doing here. God wants your past to be your past because he has a bright hope and future for you in him and that future is not being who you used to be. It's born again into a new creation. Two prayers. This one is for everybody. Lord, right now, we just pray specifically for the good news of your gospel to work in each and every one of us. Lord, we thank you because your good news is not exclusive. The gospel is inclusive, and it is for everybody who chooses to believe. I specifically pray, Lord, that we would have spiritual eyes open to see that you have called us for so much more. And, Lord, we don't want to settle for less than what you have have called us for. Thank you, God, because your good news is good news for us. Thank you, Jesus, for paying the price on the cross for our sins. But most importantly, for resurrecting so that the good news can can be for everyone. Thank you because you replace death with life. You, You replace darkness with light. And that is what we're asking here today. Lord, with unveiled faces and hearts, we come before you, not needing to hide anymore. But open to your transforming hand and power in our lives work in us help us lord be with us in jesus name i pray amen i want to thanks for listening to the vertical church podcast and thank you to all of you who give generously to this ministry you make this ministry possible you can always give online by visiting us at verticalchurch.com and if you enjoyed this message, you can subscribe, rate it, share it with your friends, and you can also share it on social media and tag us at vertical underscore social. Thanks again for listening and God bless you.